Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Brennan Lee is a musician's musician, a songwriter's songwriter, a flat picker's flat picker. There's a reason so many songwriters love her songs and cover her songs. There's a reason so many of us admire her musicianship. She's just the real deal. She has a new record, Ain't Through Honky Tonkin' Yet, coming out uh, in June, and a great catalog that came before that. Talking to her from her home in Nashville, uh, on her back porch, with a rooster piping up throughout the interview. She's literally rocking in a rocking chair the whole time we have the conversation you're about to hear. She's great. And I'm really glad that I was able to pick her brain and share the resulting wisdom with you Wheels Off listeners. I know you're going to enjoy this. I'm really grateful that I got to meet Brennan. I'd never spoken to her before, and what a treat. That's why I love doing Wheels Off, and I'm really grateful that you guys keep listening and uh, giving me reason to keep doing it. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Brennan Lee. Welcome to Wheels Off, Brennan Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to this. Oh, that's so sweet. From uh, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? Right now, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. And it looks like you're outdoors or semi outdoors. It's a beautiful day. It's garden planting time. Getting it in a little late this year, but uh, oh, better late than never. It's uh, I'm in the Hudson Valley of New York, and it's also beautiful here. It's back porch painting weather. Oh. Wonder, do you paint? I mean, I'm being forced to paint the back porch today. <laughs> it's it's not like a your it's not your um, your tour de force. It's just the forge. I'm not bringing an easel onto the back porch with a canvas. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really nice, though. Um. So, congrats on the new record and its imminent release. Thank you. Are you so excited? Very excited. It's it's very exciting. Oh, it's, dude. Uh, yeah, you know, you know how it is. You I make do. something and you get to share it with people and it's it's a gift. And um, I think most disciplines have this. Um, maybe painting doesn't. I don't know. But there's a lag time. Like you must have finished this record a few months back. Right. I'm guessing. We finished it, finished it over the course of a year. We started it last January, not this January, but the sorry for the rooster, the January before. So. We've been working on it for a little while now. Um, we just had a few last overdubs. We overdubbed the harmony quartet thing. Yeah. I hope that doesn't continue. Sometimes oh. it goes wow. It's uh, nice. It's nice color. 
I, yeah, I brought in the recording of a rooster just to make myself sound <laughs> country and authentic. <laughs> it was very expensive. Um, but I'm anyway, I'm rambling. We, uh, we just had the pleasure of having a little time to finish this one. So nice. Nice. Um, that thing does happen though, where it, once it gets finished and it's in the can, but you have to wait for it to come out. How, how do you deal with that lag time? Because it can be pretty difficult mentally. Um, you know, this, this is a new practice for me, but someone gave me some advice some years ago and basically it was just keep hitting them with more records. So if I finish something and then, you know, the label wants to wait a little while to put it out or I've got, you know, legwork to do, I just start something else. Nice. So, so well, given that, what, what creative project are you working on right now and how does it light you up? I have two in my head at the moment and neither of them has been technically started, but um, one of them is kind of a, it's got cowgirl vibes. It's kind of that um i i love the, the the cowboy music from the 1940s and 50s kind of the hollywood cowboy stuff yeah. uh sons of the pioneers and roy rogers and marty robbins and even like patsy montana and uh, the, the whole genre that could be the big wide very vague genre that could be described as as cowboy yeah um i love that idea but i love i I want to put it in the context of my own life, put the songs in the context of what my, my own life is or a modern, a modern person. Yeah. Um, and then the other idea I, I really want to pursue is, um, you know, I grew up with bluegrass mm -hmm. and I want to make a proper bluegrass record. Would you play mandolin? Would you be the mandolinist? <sighs> Maybe. Would you be flat picking? Would you be do all of it? If I find someone better then I might not, you know, I'm in Nashville, so it's it's a it's an embarrassment of riches around here. God, it really is. Um, but uh, so did you? So you grew up in North Dakota, right? I was born in Fargo, North Dakota, and I grew up right across the state line in Minnesota. So sure, I'm from I, both places. I don't think people realize how beautiful. I mean, I grew up. I grew up in the South in Texas, and and we used to go spend the summers in Brainerd. Oh, really? Yeah. Where in Texas did you grow up? Dallas. Okay. Yeah, I know but, it well. But so people in Dallas don't realize. I'd say I'm going to Brainerd, Minnesota, and they'd be like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." And I was like, "Well, it's actually really beautiful." Uh, so. I, I mean, and I say this as being a part Texan. Uh huh. Like I am part Texan now. I lived there for 15 years. Oh, wow. Texans can be rude about other people's places. <laughs> yeah. They will say, oh, I'm sorry. Or, you know, you got out as fat. Why were you, you know, well, mm. actually, Minnesota is God's country. Yeah. Especially somewhere like Brainerd. It's just wonderful. But don't tell anyone. <laughs> Too <'cause>, late. <laughs> yeah, we're on the air. But it so, is it is really a great place. It's kind of Norman Rockwell place to grow up. Yeah. Um. But, but I wonder about growing up up there. And uh, I don't think people, again, I don't think people realize that it's kind of cowboy country too out there. But for you, did you always know you were going to do music? Did you always know you were going to write songs? Was there an epiphany moment that you can recall? Um, well, as a, like a, like a kid, I liked poetry. 
I liked um, English poetry and I liked American poetry. I liked poetry that rhymed most of all. I liked Yeats. Yeah. I liked Shakespeare. I liked Christina Rossetti and I liked Tennyson. And um, I didn't know how I could fit that into, I couldn't imagine myself as an adult poet. Like, is that, that's an extinct profession. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, and then in my teens, I started playing music. My brother and I had a duo. We traveled around in our teens and played country music and, and bluegrass. And uh, it kind of came together. I don't know why it never occurred to me I could be a songwriter. It just kind of happened. So started writing really bad songs in my teens. Because that's what you do is you start with being really bad. <laughs> and I wrote a lot of bad songs. Um, and then, you know, I, it, it turned out I never knew any other life. I was just a, I was just, well, this is what I do now. Never, never got a job. Just, uh, kind of went with it. I'm so glad you made the point because I do think it's, it's so useful, especially for like young artists starting out to hear that, that you, when you start, you're going to be bad by necessity. And I can't imagine now, like I, I'm old enough that I just missed the put everything on YouTube as soon as you're learning it era. So there's, you know, the, the embarrassing stuff of me is on VHS somewhere, if that. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, the pressure to share everything and perform everything as soon as you learn it is must, that must be pretty intense. Now, I mean, I learned in my parents' basement. I learned in uh, bars and no one had a video camera. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to be bad. I made some bad music. I wrote some bad songs. That's part of the process. You don't get to skip that. Well, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about that with regards to the technological advancements, if, if they are advancements. The idea that those those early years are captured or even worse, like you feel beholden to share them with the world, like this is how you gain followers. So does do kids now get even the the option to suck for a while in private? I mean, I would hope so. I would hope that you I, I really I really don't know, but yeah. The 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 need to get likes and followers, I mean, even as an established I mean, as established as I am, performer, um, I feel that. Yeah. And they must. I know they do. It's a disaster. <laughs> well, so I, I wonder about that because, right, the the um, the likes and followers phenomenon is definitely something that creates um, inner turmoil and bad feelings you know, for us artists, probably for anyone, period, but certainly for people that live and die by public adulation or whatever um for you when you encounter um the negative voices in your own head the sort of self-generated obstacles that keep you from writing your best song being your best self what have you figured out as a way to get through that um well i feel i feel confident about my writing and i kind of in, in the sense that like i have a process that i've always used for determining whether something is worth playing for people or not. And it's, if I feel good enough about it, I'll just play it for people. 
and I'll test it out and I'll see how people react to it. And if they don't seem to react to it, well, I'll retire it. And it's kind of no skin off my back. It's just like, okay, well that one didn't work. But if, you know, if I feel strongly enough about it and it's close to my heart, I'll just keep playing it because ultimately you have to be okay with your own. You have to be okay with what you're putting out. You can't just base it on the reaction that other people might have. Yeah. If I love it, chances are other people will too. That's kind of my rule. Um, It's not always the case, but. It's an interesting distinction because it comes up a lot in these conversations that if you try to um, manipulate the creation of your art to make somebody else happy, like if you're if you're calculating as you're creating, typically it you know winds up in a failure or something that stinks of desperation or something. But once it's done, you can focus group it without feeling like you're um, compromising the creative self. Right? Does does that make sense? Right. Like you can beat yourself again. You can beat yourself up over are people going to like this? And should I make this kind of record? And should I, and like, really, you're not going to know for one, but I mean, I figured this out when I made, it took me a while, but I made this record Prairie love letter mm-hmm. in 2020, I guess. And, uh, it, it was the most in my mind, uncommercial thing I could have done. It was this record about North Dakota and it's about, I mean, the whole record is like about the people I grew up around, the Norwegian farmers. Um, It's, it's an, you know, as culture, like American culture is at like in general, it's, it's, it's an irrelevant culture. Like no one cares to, there's no, (laughs) there's no one. The only mainstream references to this culture that I grew up in, it was like Prairie Home Companion and uh, the movie Fargo. And so just like, not really that hot button, if you will. But I I thought, damn it. I've, I've like, I was just like over it. It's like, you know, I'm going to make something I like. And if no one likes it, if it sells 10 copies, whatever. And I made it. And ironically, it ended up being like the thing that helped, like actually took my career to a more sustainable level for me. And I figured it out. Like, I'm never again going to do anything thinking about anyone else artistically. I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want to. Because if you're enjoying yourself, people will enjoy themselves when they hear what you're making. And I feel like there's such a great lesson in there. There's a couple of great lessons in there. Um, But one of one of them is is the idea that um, the uh, particular, the, the specific is sometimes more universal than what you think would be universal. You put that really well. Thanks. I think, I think because broad strokes, I guess as my, my old publisher friend, Bobby Reimer would say broad strokes or uh, the, I think he calls it broad strokes, like more general kind of like that can appeal, mm-hmm. but ironically, like you said, <laughs> the more specific, Oh, you think this story's only happened to me. Like no one's going to relate to this. And, and the more personal it gets, sometimes the more people come out of the woodwork and go, that was, you know, that's like my, that song feels like it's about my grandfather, you know, or me, or people are, are, we're very much the same as each other. 
Yeah. And so if you if you find something that's just this tiny little nugget of your life and it's real and it feels really real, that's going to land more than something that's like a bromide, like a big sweeping broad strokes, as your publisher would say. Did you ever know David Olney? That's super familiar. Who is he? Uh, he was a wonderful songwriter, writer and actor in, in Nashville. He uh, he was one of the first people I knew here, and uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, I guess around 2020. I think it was 2020. It was in January. But um, the first time I met him, I had a lovely conversation with him. And uh, I can't remember. We were on this topic, and he said to me, I never forgot this. He said, eh, if everybody likes it, how good could it really be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Amen. <laughs> so it's okay to find your people like if your audience is not the average you know the big part of the bell curve like that's okay because people are we're nuanced there's more you know there's all kinds i love that and it's so funny so when, when i ask how you deal with the sort of negative inner voices and you said i'm confident like i i just i wonder <clears throat> Was this preternatural? Was were you born confident? Was it a hard won confidence? Yeah, I'm confident about my songs, my singing, and my playing. And I, I sadly, I'll have to admit, it's probably because I've been validated about it. Uh, yeah, that helps. Because I'm, I'm very not confident about some certain other things, you know. But my songs, it's like, okay, well, that's the thing. That's the thing I know I can do. Maybe that's normal, you know, everyone's got kind of a, a thing that's like, well, yeah, I know I'm, I can do that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's validation. It's probably external validation <laughs> has made me confident. But maybe even it's the thing of when you start as a, as a kid or whatever, and you look and you see the people watching you and you see whatever it is, their response, the joy in their face, the, you know, that that's the immediate validation that, that then snowballs and pushes us to do this thing that we do maybe yeah i mean i maybe if i hadn't gotten that kind of validation i would be like a teacher or something now i would i would have a different career choice um what would you teach i i like english but i didn't you know i'm not a i'm a high school graduate so i would need to <laughs> com completely uh <laughs> reorganize my life if i wanted to do something like that but yeah, the English language, I mean, it's it's endlessly interesting. Do you think people that get an honorary degree are then allowed to go teach? I have no idea. <laughs> just I'm just wondering. How do you how um, does one how does one uh get gain an honorary degree? They're always giving them to like the 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 celebrity that comes back and does the the valid or the the graduation speech, commencement speech. I need one of those. I need one of those too. But then, can I turn around and get like a real job with benefits? Can I? Can I do a? Can I do a commencement speech if I never commenced? Exactly. If I never, that, if I never graduated, am I allowed to? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Talk to kids about graduating because. Yeah. I'm not sure. I regret it. I don't regret it. No, God, no. Did you did you did you go to college at all and then drop out or did you were you just like ah no way for a minute I went to Texas State no way 
Yeah. Is Texas State formerly East Texas? Where it which used one to is be East? Southwest Texas State. That's right. Okay. And it's then they of, changed it. Got you. I had a girlfriend that went there when it was Southwest Texas State. Beautiful rivers. Yeah, same. Float, yeah, floating on the rivers. Um, so you were there like what, like one semester? Like one year. Yeah, like two semesters I was there. Okay, cool. So you knew, you tried it. I felt, I mean, I was already working was the thing. Yeah. I already had my path and, you know, my very generous parents were like, you should try college. But they have always been supportive of my career. So they kind of knew it was like, it was like in the way. It was not a priority for me. I liked, I liked being in Texas. That was kind of how I got there. It was my brother and I moved and we both went to Texas state for a minute. Um, but I, I think I was, I think I was intruding on their generosity a little. <laughs> Faking it. Faking it. Yeah. I was a, I didn't become very acclimated into the student body because I was always working. Did you agonize over it? The the idea of like the normal life that you, the path you should follow the, you know, your parents, as you say, their generosity and sending you there was, was there a lot of agonizing feeling like the should, the should uh, of it all? I should do this. I should do that. Or did no. you, you felt the pull? <laughs> well, you know, the, you probably, you know, this, the thing you miss is like normal stuff sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, that Tom T hall song, the homecoming. Mm-hmm. That's like my favorite song because I can't listen to it without choking up because he's, you know, for those that don't know it, it's a one-sided conversation between him and his dad and his dad's like still this country guy. And you can just see him sitting on the porch talking to his dad and he's missed his mother's funeral and he's missed, you know, he's just like no longer a part of the, the community. He's just off playing all the time. And he's, He's like saying he's lost a little weight and he's like, uh, it's just a hard life that he's chosen, but he's missing things. He's missing regular human, you know, small town things in his case. I really miss that sort of thing. Like someone telling me, oh, hey, we're having a birthday party for your, you know, your great aunt or whatever. And it's next Saturday. It's like, well, I can't spur the moment show up on a Saturday. And I really, I, I do grieve that. Um, so if you're going to invite me to something, like make sure it's like six months in advance. <laughs> but that is funny. That's uh, that's especially for a touring musician. We we give up so much of of that being present in the lives of our extended family, our immediate family. It's it's a giant sacrifice. Does it feel like that to you? Did you feel like you're sacrificing, or do you feel like you have no? option oh for sure i'm i'm making that sacrifice you know i miss everybody if everybody's at home doing something dang i'm the only one that's not there you know but i've i'm lucky because my uh my mom was a a stewardess nice flight attendant yeah and then a customer service agent and so like she um which airline a delta Nice. My, mo- my mom was customer service at uh, American Airlines. Oh, so you know the deal. Like they have a little freedom where they can fly. Non-rev, uh, baby. Yeah, my parents can can fly and see me. Nice. So they do fly and see me pretty often. My brother does too. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's very nice. 
Um, so, so we've spent a little bit of time uh, traveling back to the the you know the the post teenage years when the world is sort of laid out in front of you and all the doors are open. I wonder if you would mind trying to put yourself back. Imagine you're running into a 21 year old version of yourself in today's world, unfortunately, um, or well, I won't, I won't put a judgment on it in today's world, 21 year old you, what advice do you give yourself? Probably don't worry so much. Cause things are going to like go there the way that they're going to go. You know, um, I wasted a lot of time and kind of like, didn't know what I wanted and didn't know, you know, didn't, didn't go for my career. Like I maybe should have, um, I see a lot of 21 to, to 30 year olds now. And I'm, I, I look at them and I'm like, wow, they're really driven and really like focused and they, but they have access to information that I, I didn't have too. They kind of have, they have online communities. I mean, uh, at, but at the same time, I don't think I would have been okay with being like famous at 22 yeah. because I wasn't really making the music I wanted to make. I wasn't the artist yet that I wanted to be. I mean, are we ever, but, um, I don't know. I think I would have probably just said, don't worry so much. Don't did worry. You worry so much. Did you worry a lot? I'm kind of a worrier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah worry about other people, you know, that kind of thing. I like the point you made. It's something I think about a lot. I wonder if it's changing. I feel like the world is giving artists the leeway to grow up. Like I, I remember when, when I dropped out of college, part of my driving force was the idea that when you turn 30, they eject you from rock and roll or whatever. Like <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> I know. Right. But I do feel like that was a belief that was held in the late eighties, at least, or up until the late eighties. But I do feel like now we let artists, maybe it's just musicians, but we let, you know, maybe it goes to other disciplines as well, but we let people grow into their talent and I, th I do think we get better all the time yeah i think we do too and i mean i don't it's probably is for probably counts for everybody but mostly you know definitely for women um you know been playing professionally since my teens and they tell you there's always people that come out of the woodwork and tell you like, well, you better hurry up and strike while the iron's hot because, you know, once you're, once you're not a, a dewy fresh, um, little nymph anymore, you know, you turn 30 or whatever, uh, no one's going to want your music. And what a terrible thing to say. And it's also, it's not true because yeah. stuff started happening for me. I felt like in a, in a way substantial, in a in a significant way when i was like 36. yeah i had a, a manager about 15 years ago to, just to the point that maybe it could happen to guys as well but i had a manager 15 years ago tell me in you know very seriously you need to have a hit on this record because this is your last record to be where you're going to be cute <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Whatever. Yeah, you know, I know I I, def, I feel like I had old elder male, you know, <sighs> advisors <laughs> definitely tell me that.
So gross. It's like, dude, you are like, <laughs> this guy was, I don't know how old, a lot older than me. I was like, you don't know if I'm 30 or 40 or 50. Like, you can't even tell. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. People want, I think people want something human and real and especially in country music. Yeah. They don't want you to look like a Barbie. They're not my fans. Yeah. Those and aren't I, my fans anyway. Those people. Exactly. And I, and I wonder about the idea of having a hit. The um, You had said, I'm glad I didn't have success when I was in my early 20s because I, um, you know, my stuff wasn't as good or I hadn't figured out who I wanted to be musically. Right. But it's I wonder if. And these there's stories I tell myself to make myself myself feel better about never having had a hit, right? Uh, if it calcifies you in that moment, and everybody wants the person that was that broke through in that moment, right? If you you're always going to be remembered for that thing, yeah. Um, I think about this John Hartford quote all the time, where he said, um, "Never become famous for something you don't like doing." <laughs> yes. It's like, really. You could, I mean, if if you had a novelty hit or something that was kind of knuckleheaded, yeah. that's you. You're going to get recognized in the H-E-B as being the guy that sang the song about the, you know, yeah, figure out who you are. Because I, I was, I had also had nothing to say when I was 22. I really didn't. And most people don't. <laughs> yeah. It's like rare. Most, mostly if you're 22, you kind of haven't really had anything happen to you yet. Most people haven't. Like I had a breakup. <laughs> it was the only breakup anyone ever had. It was really sad. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's me at 22, you know? Um, and that, there are exceptions to that, but mostly I think my goodness, yeah. life experience is really useful for songwriting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so excited for the new record. I'm glad. I'm glad you ain't through hockey talking. Um Never. boy, how many how many freaking articles that talk about the new record or your upcoming visit to their town are gonna well, that's you asked for it by making that the album title. You're gonna say Brennan Lee ain't through hockey talking yet or whatever. <laughs> exactly. That's fine. Um Man, it's so cool. Well, I just, I'm, I'm so glad I got to talk with you. I really, I really appreciate the wisdom that you've shared. I think people are going to love it. Thanks for doing the, you know, doing the, the work and being smart and asking good questions. <laughs> well, it's easy. It's easy to talk to you. I hope our paths cross soon in real life and good luck out there on the road. Well, same. I, I hope I get to to hear you in person sometime soon too. Let's share Not a bill. Let's okay. Get, let's get Deal. paid to hang out. I'd love that. Thank Me you. Too. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Brennan. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris.
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.